I'm Lisa Billu, and I went from housewife to co-founder of the billion-dollar company Quest Nutrition, and now president of Impact Theory. Our mission with this show is to empower you and all women to recognize you really can become the hero of your own life. Welcome to Women of Impact. If Doc Brown lent you his DeLorean and you could go back in time and tell today's Women of Impact's younger self that she would one day impact over 550 million women around the world with content she spearheaded, she would have thought you were more nuts than a tub of planters. You see, growing up in Queens, New York with an alcoholic father, who's now 20 years sober by the way, and in a low-income working-class family, the future was unclear. But after interning at the Rosie O'Donnell Show, she saw firsthand what impact a powerful, strong, confident woman could have, and she wanted in. Working here, however, taught her another powerful lesson. And no, it wasn't from the likes of Oprah or Tom Cruise who frequented the show. It was from working on the human interest stories that really captured her heart. Women running the Iron Man, kids tap dancing, just incredible stories with extraordinary people. So she took a deep breath and inhaled oxygen the media company that is, where she learned how to shoot, direct and produce on the field as a one-woman band. From there, she landed her dream job as VP of production of Vice Media, but she quickly realized the view wasn't so sunny at the top. So heavily pregnant, she made a bold move and decided to climb an even taller mountain and join Refinery29, one of the leading global media companies on the planet. So guys, please help me in welcoming the woman who ignites conversations and changes perception. The woman who is literally reprogramming society and, as a result, becoming a catalyst for women to see, feel and claim their power. The utterly incomparable Amy Emmerich. Welcome to the show, my dear. That was quite the lead up. Thanks so much. You have done such incredible things. And where I want to start is something that I find a common theme throughout your entire career Mm -hmm. is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. So talk to me about that because it seems like you've done that a lot in your life. How has that actually served you and how do you get there? You know, I think that you, you mentioned it, but I think when everybody grows up, what you grow up in is your normal. So I'm very comfortable around chaos. It wasn't all chaos. Growing up in the 70s, Queens and New York had a ton of fun, but it was constant change when you're dealing with lower socioeconomic and alcohol issues. Um, so I think that I just got very used to and comfortable to deal with whatever walked in the door mm. that day at a very early age. But I, I think it's more interesting to not know what walks in and to think of that as an opportunity and how am I going to handle this? There's days I do better yeah. than others. Every day there's something new. Everything's changing so quickly. So you better get comfortable being uncomfortable. I love it. And hearing your story where you went to Cat House and you were doing your um, your show there. Mm. So that is definitely going into a place out of your comfort zone. Um, how how did that happen? And what were your thoughts and transitions? Because you had really high, ex- um, not high expectation, but you had a certain set of expectations, right? Before going in. Oh yeah. I mean, Cat House, no one knows what to expect walking into that. Um, I think that was all documentary filmmaking. Cat House is a show set in Carson City, Nevada, about a brothel um, called the Bunny Ranch. Right. Dennis Hoff, who just lost, you know, he just lost his life this year. Um, but what an interesting character. And no matter what you think about Dennis, he convinced HBO to give him a show. So you've got to give him credit for that. And uh, watching the dynamics of what that place once was and the career women who were professionals at the ranch um, compared to as the show started to grow, the women that were showing up, it was just very different reasons. Um, but there was a history with what they were doing and the confidence of who they were and the way they would talk about sex and their bodies 
Um, but it never really was about the sex. It was about emotions, what the men were looking for, what the women had. But um, it was an era of confidence. You really had to have a curiosity about the world, no matter what you were shooting, um, and look at it through kind of your your new eyes, but at the same time try to understand and empathize with the person that you're putting in front of the lens. But how do you take that first step into it? So, you know, a lot of people have these big dreams and they really want to do incredible things. But yeah. sometimes when you're, come, you're faced with it, the fear of getting uncomfortable stops them. So were there certain things that you had to do in like taking that first step into there that people at home could maybe take upon themselves? Because like, let's say there's someone right now, they've got a credible opportunity, but yeah. they're so scared to do it because of being like yeah. so uncomfortable. But is that, is it really even uncomfortable or is it leaning away from the fear? Some people will right. say you have to lean into the fear the right way mm-hmm. and use that and say, okay, what is this that's making me scared? Right. Well, how do I use it? But if you lead with fear, that's not going to put you in a good direction. But if you lean into the fear and try to understand it and say, okay, what about this is making me nervous? I don't know if I knew that I would be so uncomfortable at the cat house. Yeah. It was shooting documentaries was always about the adventure and you had to be up for the adventure and the excitement of that adventure. To me, it was just the excitement always overtook any fear I might have of being uncomfortable. So, you know, I always used to say, like, it's amazing that this girl, this poor girl from Queens got paid to travel around the country and see what it was like. So I think any time those opportunities showed up, it was easier to lean into the excitement of them Mm -hmm. than any fear I had or, or uncomfortability. And I think that's so key is just like perspective. So instead mm-hmm. of concentrating on the fear, to look at the excitement of it. Yes. Um, even if you feel the fear, it's not saying it's not going to be there, yeah. but just focusing on the excitement, getting you through that front yeah. door. I think you have to have a love of learning. You know, I talk about that all the time with my kids, but that's you're learning by doing, mm-hmm. which as I think as a design thinker, it's a lot easier than sitting with the book. Um, and so that's how I kind of was learning a lot about life in my 20s, being out around the country, filming all types of things from hospitals, you know, doctors, weddings, um, police, to the cat house. Um, And you learn a lot about human behavior, um, what people want from the world, what makes us the same and different. Um, So I think that kind of, you know, took over every any, any other emotion. Yeah, I love that so much. So in talking about that, talk to me about Chris Menina. Oh, Chris. Chris Menina was one of the best detectives we ever shot. And, um... You know, at Oxygen, we were filming a show called Women in the Badge, following women in law enforcement around the country. There was tons of cop shows, but no one really focused on the women that were doing the job um, and highlighting them for what they were doing. So Chris was a specific homicide detective at the time in Indianapolis, and we had caught a case with her. And we wanted to finish the case out as she really was looking for the um, for, for the culprit. And we were running out of money. I mean, we were staying there so long and the hotel was running out. We actually moved into her house with her and filmed her truly going after, um, going out on the case. Um, and she was one of my favorite detectives in her police car. She had these post-its everywhere that would say, you know, I will win. I will catch them. And she just truly felt the sense of responsibility she had as an officer, that she was solving these homicide cases, which really brought closure to so many families. But I had never seen a female, I'd seen many females with such confidence, but I felt like what we were filming with her were her tactics and how she got there. How important do you think that is, like the mindset portion of I mean, I think that's everything. Every morning we all wake up and we have a choice to feel good and feel bad. Um, And what kind of, I think now as a mother, I'm constantly saying, what's your choice? Um, How do you want to feel? Um, And it's a mind over matter game. But I think the fact that she had, at the time, it was like a 97% solve rate in the homicide cases. um, 
it was just like she was determined she would win. Mm. And the reasons why she wanted to win also, right? There's a little bit of selfishness mm-hmm. of like, I want to win. But it was because she wanted to actually serve people and serve the world around her. I mean, she took that so seriously. And I think those are the two things that I try to remember. It's got to be bigger than yourself. Yeah, I actually wore this T-shirt in honor of her. Um, it's a reflection. So when I look at it, it reads to me that I've got this. Um, That's awesome. And the reason why is because I really do believe the thoughts in your head is what's dictating yes. whether you're going to succeed or not mm-hmm. or how you feel. Um, and so the power of belief of making sure that you have, you're surrounded by positivity, that you're creating mm-hmm. the mindset that you actually want, <clears throat> um, I think it's so important. And yeah, hearing your story with, with her was amazing. She was always, you know, and look, I'm much more of I, I need to tackle the problem head on as quickly as possible. So I'll walk into a situation and say, all right, what's wrong here? Mm. Even as I give notes on a cut, still to this day, I go straight to, here's the things you have to fix. And I have to go back and remind myself and everyone, like, no, this is a great job and you've done it. But in this day and age of media, I'm moving at the speed Mm. that I was never really conditioned to move in. And I find it's faster to jump right into the root cause of the problem. But I'm doing that because my intent at the start is always that something's good. So it allows me to quickly get to the negative to try to adjust that. Um, And I think that's important because for some people who are used to living in a realm of possibility and rainbows and positivity, that comes off so aggressive. You know, but, but you, I, I can, I'm doing so because in the back of my mind and the intent, I'm very aware of how lucky I am to be here with right. you. Everything is a new experience. Everything is this kind of wild adventure. I, how did I get here kind of moment. So in order to be so present to adjust and to move us, I tend to get straight to, okay, what's the probability here of what it is that we need to adjust mm-hmm. in order to make things better. So there is a balance, I think it's a balance that's so important Um, because if everyone walks around and says everything is perfect all the time, it's like, how aware are you to the other things around it? How do you balance those out? So I struggle. Yeah. I was going to say, how do you not then let the, um, what needs to be fixed cloud the positivity? And I think that's the, that's the balance. Um, and how do you keep in mind that they're still good? And, And I still think that that's the, and it could be that I have two younger kids. So the exhaustion that comes into place. <laughs> I think the only way you do that balance is when you're well rested yeah. and in your right mind. Um, which, okay, you know, so sleep, the past one. five years I really haven't been in. So I've definitely fallen into the spiral of despair yeah. occasionally um, because you're just tired and you're, you can't keep yourself to that place of positivity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's that that's been the, the thing I've been learning over the past few years. Uh, yeah, because recently you actually took a trip, right? And you said it was um, mental health necessity. Oh, yes. Um, because one of your things is like, if you're not functioning, like stop, slow down, yeah. sleep. But um, I also feel in today's day and age, we're all, there's so much to be done. Right. And so we all want to do something in, in a world where we're sharing a lot of our personal lives. Is it comfortable that you could share? You're enjoying yourself. You're doing nothing, mm-hmm. which is always doing something but we're not really taught that. It's okay to step out and completely disengage with everything for a while to get your, to get your head back. How do you actually do that, though? Because you're very much a type A. So here you are. I mean, your career is incredible. It looks like you haven't even stopped to, you know, to go to sleep, to take a nap, to be honest, <laughs> in like 30 years or whatever. <laughs> And so people don't know at home, we're filming this at 7 a.m. because you've got such a jam-packed day that you're like, yeah, I can do it at 7 a.m. Like, that's how hardcore you are, which I love, by the yeah. way. But, but how do you get to taking the time? 
I had pneumonia in the beginning of the year. That's not a great way to start your 2018. Um, so I think I probably went a little too far and finding and pulling back on that balance is important. Um, when I do do it, you got to, you know, putting the phone down is the most important. I still haven't even mastered that, but just pulling yourself out of the electronics to be as present as you can. And everybody has a different thing. Some people love to read. I could sit at the ocean for hours on end um, and just stare. I, I still joke when I retire. I just want to sit somewhere and read and stare out into space. Like that's it. That's the only request because to find the solace, to relax and to, to get your mind Mm -hmm. that present is something that I, I've never been good at. I've been on the move since birth. So do you actually think you'll be good at retiring now? Because you've been on the go? I don't even know if you're ever retired, right? I mean, what's retirement mean to us by the time we're that age? I think that means volunteering and I don't know there's more service that you could do with your life everything that you've done like you have such a purpose and that's what I love mm-hmm. it's like you had your you know all these incredible jobs that other people would be like oh well, why did you leave like are you crazy but it seemed like you're always searching for that purpose um I have not had the luxury where I was making you know salaries so so huge that it was about the money. It's never been about the money. It's always been, okay, what am I learning on this job? How am I evolving as a human? How is this helping me? How am I helping others? And then once you feel like you don't have that anymore, it's time to go somewhere else so that you can keep learning. Yeah. Um, and that's always been what pushed me. Which is incredible because you moved over to um, refinery at when you were nine, eight months pregnant or nine mm. months? Um, and I went in around three months. By the time the job offer came in, I was a little bit more like six or seven months. Mm. Um, I'm so used to society telling me this isn't the time that you should take a jump or move. Um, Refinery, Philip Justin, um, who are the CEOs and co-founders, were very adamant about how the company is 86% female. For many people there having babies, this isn't, this isn't something that they are afraid of. This mm. is something they're actually leaning into. This is a good thing that they can have a role model come to the company who can join while pregnant and uh, we'll figure that out together. I was also fortunate they allowed me to bring in um, support. I think everything's also about support. Yes, I was taking the jump, but there was tons of support there for me to do so. So that helped. Right. Um, And so what would you say to somebody that maybe is in a position where they maybe don't have the support, but they're in something they're not fully um, passionate about? You know, it's so weird. I I do feel like the hard thing for people is to accept support you know when Mm. someone doesn't have any support I I, to me that's the saddest statement Mm -hmm. is there a family member or a friend or then you have the wrong friends that who's not there to at least mentally support you in order for you to take a jump or to take a leap I can understand when situations may keep you from being able to do that and that's different but um isn't that the people that you want to surround yourself with is to find the find the support um, and then there's just a level of confidence and to take a risk not beat yourself up if it doesn't work out um, and that's okay and that I think you only get better at through taking more risks and beating yourself right. up quite a few times um, and then after a while you start to change your mind yeah. um, shift it if you will to think well at least I had the courage to take the chance in the first mm-hmm. place and that is the bigger win there's no guarantee it's going to work out um, is that what you tell yourself because did you used to beat yourself up Unfortunately, when I was growing up, I don't know many women who weren't beating themselves up. Yeah. Um, so I think, yes, I think it was always, should I, should I, would I, could I? Um, women worry probably about 75% of the things that don't actually even happen in the first place. So how do you stop doing that and right. look at them right. and instead say, do you want to be the person who pulled back or the person who pushed forward? Um, so yeah, I think that, but that also comes with, for me, it was more experience mm-hmm. over time and then a larger support system. Yeah.
I love the positive reinforcement because it's like even if you fail or do something you know wrong, it's like okay, well, what am I going to do better next time? Like it just allows you to mm-hmm. propel, get more experience. The experience has taught you, like oh, okay, when I failed over here, actually led to something great. Always, yes. and I think that that kind of um, experience and that hab- habit forming can mm-hmm. be very important in taking more chances. So you actually mentioned about society saying that you shouldn't move when pregnant.、Um, Talk to me about like how you feel about like the way society is right now in reflection of women, or how it used to be, what it's like、mm-hmm. now, and then what you hope for the future. I think the future is bright. I think there's a lot of scary things going on、um, in the world, so you don't want to ignore that. But the amount of confidence I could see getting instilled in my daughter and how we're raising my son is completely different than how our parents raised us, and that is every generation. But I don't know right now. Technology has advanced at such a rate and continues to do so every five years. There's like a new batch、um, of awareness that you can get knowledge through tech that is evolving the younger generation at such a speed.、Um, I, we all lived in the world that we lived in, and we didn't know to question it. At least I didn't. So、uh, I think today there's just a hyper awareness with all the work that has been done before through、um, the Me Too movement and Tamara Burke and Times Up and. Just support of women on women, and I also think the idea of even women of all kind and how we look speak to one another. I obviously grew up in a lower socioeconomic world, but it was primarily a white world. And now I work at a company where we're having these—I say it's the best college environment I could have ever asked for, where it's open and safe conversation、mm-hmm. around diversity and culture and how we are different and what makes us the same, but how we need to move forward together in support of one another. So I grew up in a world where there was only one woman in the room. And so the、mm-hmm. women at the top weren't necessarily always capable to help bring us up、um, along the way, which is very、oh. different than today.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it was you had to pretend to be more like a man to fit in.、Um, when I worked in production for a long time and got my first office job, I hadn't seen someone in ten years, and they said, "Wow, I didn't even know you could dress like this. You were always in jeans, sneakers, big pocketed." Pants. You were wearing men men's clothes、yeah. to do the production job,、um, and it was just interesting to me to see how I even was evolving and kind of getting more in touch with my feminine side,、mm-hmm. um, and what that meant to me. I didn't even I wasn't even in tune with that.、I、had always been around more male,、um, highly male、um, dominated fields.、Yeah. So I, I think again the environment and everyone should be hyper aware of how that environment shapes you,、mm-hmm. and how you need to then shape your mind to react to the environment you're in. Um, and refinery helped kind of unlock something where the they believed in me, and then I was able to find a voice that I truly was comfortable in, and might have been shying away from over the years because I wasn't in the right environment. I love that, and that's when you first started shaving your hair. That was、right? when I first shaved my head.、Um, when I started, Philip said to me, "Why does your headshot look like you sell real estate insurance?" <laughs> and、um, and then they took、um, a new headshot of me, and it was definitely more of a, a feminine and kind of. Brighter, bolder image, but I just saw this like curly, wavy hair and felt like that's never been me. I want to cut the suburbs out. I didn't know what I was trying to do, and I went to the hair salon and said, "Shave my head." She said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're never gonna keep it up. Let's go slow." And I shaved one side, and I loved it. And from the moment I cut it, what was interesting to me was everyone else's reactions of just how it fit me. There was something about who I wanted to be that wasn't coming obviously across. And then the minute I shaved it, everyone else started to change way before I even did. It kind of, I think, changed towards you or changed themselves. Or 
a bit of a, not a bit of both because I think mm. when you see someone else taking a risk, yeah. it inspires you to do so. Mm-hmm. And if this was something so physically, you're right. It was so physical and so apparent. So it doesn't matter. People take risks every day, all the right. time, but you don't see them. It's so true. This was something that you could physically see. So people would say, "Wow, that takes such courage, right? To, to, to shave your head, which is so ridiculous. It's hair." But there was just something about what it took to do it, and because they could physically see it, they could identify yeah. with it, and they could touch it. And then it inspires people to think, okay, well, what risk am I not taking? What, what have I not had the courage to do that I've always wanted to do? So it's been this conversation starter in a way for me to remind everyone. And no one says I'm pulling it off. When I first shaved it, I was wondering what did I do? And, right. um, but it's people's perception of you. Well, you're pulling this off. Yeah. You're doing such a great job. Mm. You might feel like the same person on the inside. So what is it about that that's causing people to have that reaction to it? And then how do I use that as a conversation to try to find them to, okay, well, what did you want to do? Mm-hmm. How come you haven't taken that chance? Um, and, and I think it's just been a kind of conversation starter. I love it. And it's so true how you just need that one person to do it or have the courage to do it that almost gives permission for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the same. So I shaved underneath. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was the same thing. I'd gone through a transition in my life. And I just felt like I really want to be more me. Like I was supposed, you know, we'd built this massive company. And I felt like I had to be a certain type of person mm-hmm. in that world of health and fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like... I just want to do something like totally out of the norm. Um, and so when I got it done, I didn't realize the impact it would have on me emotionally. But I kept saying to my husband, like, babe, pet my hair. And he's like, what is it with you and your hair? But I had no idea that it was part of my identity until I did it. There's a, a movie that I grew up on called The Legend of Billie Jean, which I think it's Helen Slater plays the lead character and she shaves her head. She cuts her hair off. She's basically fighting mm. the the... The, the patriarchy in the film and um and she finally just like cuts it off and becomes this rebel at the end and i think that image of just when do you want to say screw it i'm not going to play by the rules mm. and do my own thing um but i've been very acutely aware that i hit a certain peak i was doing well in my career um i had i, I did the checklist oh husband check 2.2 mm-hmm. kids check i have a good job check okay now i can be brave it's really hard to do that when you don't have your checklist done, or more importantly, how do you throw the checklist out? Because that checklist has not been what guaranteed me happiness. If anything, they all come with their own batch of struggles and trouble. Yeah. Um, so how do you truly find that in yourself? I think the true hero is when you find it, when, when you don't have any, you know, anything, and you mm-hmm. can feel that confident and do what you truly want to do and understand your own voice way before um, these life expectations start coming around you. I think you're underestimating yourself though, because the truth is I also think it's just like, it's hard if you've, cause you've now built it, right? You've got the husband, you've mm-hmm. got the kids. So to make a switch, and I understand your checklist, but to make a switch when you feel like you've got everything together, it can be even scarier than doing it when you're starting out. Right, but, but when, I, when you have a good job and, and, um, and you love it and, you feel good in it. And I think because those people are all supportive, it's easier. Mm. But it's also because for a long time, and I don't believe the checklist is the same for anyone anymore, thank goodness. But for a long time, those things were supposed to be the thing that would make you ultimately happy. And when you get those things, and yes, they're providing a certain amount of happiness, but they're not fulfilling your soul, you have Mm. to then question that and say, okay, I've been hiding this portion of myself for so long, fulfilling this checklist, and yet I'm still not done. There's still something in me that feels like it is not fulfilled, so how are we going to go out and reach that? Mm. You you truly have to have a little bit less fear at this point and go for it. So have you chucked out your checklist? 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I think every every New Year's, everyone creates their own new checklist. Yeah. Um, no, I think there's still dreams, and we have big dreams, and now you want to do right by your kids. Um, and I think somehow feeling like we can all f- affect society in a way, and for me it has been representation, and how what's the next thing that I'm going to do in order to start to change that. I talk a lot about kids programming because I'm consuming so much of it with my children, mm-hmm. and how it's such a missed opportunity to start injecting our kids with so much information around the world around them, and true stories, women in history, and why... Why doesn't every woman in history have their own cartoon series or comic Comic book? book. Um, And and how can we start to instill this knowledge Mm -hmm. in so many young kids? And by the way, it doesn't have to just be women. It could be history in general and trying to combing through the amount of content that is created and that we put in front of these kids that then, you know, you have to believe is possibly affecting some of the outcomes that we're seeing in the world today. And how are we going to start changing them? Um, so I do think that's probably one of the biggest thing on the checklist and appreciating that I might just have a small part in that. I don't put on me that I'm going to save the world. That's yeah. kind of ridiculous, but what's the small part I'm doing and affecting that. And, and is that, do you think become more and more important with the younger generation because you've had kids and now you're kind of, um, seeing how impacted they can be with the content that's out there? I think so. And somewhere in my future, I'd love for that to be a next stage, mm-hmm. um, I work, I mean, everyone I work with today, for the most part, is millennial and millennial-minded, we like to say. And we have a huge communication going on with Gen Z in a really big way. And um, it's so exciting to see how they're going to shift the world and in the future and the confidence level. But they're doing it in a more complex time. Mm -hmm. And everything is changing around us. The nomenclature, the language we use, the heightened awareness of the words that we're using and why is that the language that I use and how should we be evolving that um, with the people and the women who are becoming today. So there's so much growth that we're expected to do on our own as habit, right? Changing Mm. our own habits. But what I don't see is policy changing around that and how that's Mm. to be affected. So when I look at the children's stuff, yes, I have a five and a four-year-old. So um, we watch a lot of television, seeing how their habits have changed compared to our habits. Mm. We don't have to put commercials in front of them. It's the content that's shaping them. Netflix, Amazon, completely changing up their future. It's not the inspiration that they're getting. It's, it's truly affecting um, who they are mm. immediately on yeah. impact. So somewhere along the lines, just being mindful of all of that. I think we take in messaging everywhere we go, from the bus stop to the movie theater, and we're not as aware of what is the impact that that's having on us. And so what do we want? How do we want to affect that in any small way? We do have that luxury and that privilege where every day you can affect that in a small way. And how do you try to keep up the hope in inspo to do so yeah so you guys did a show called like the skinny um yeah, talk to me Jesse a bit, Conway, yeah, yeah talk to me about that because like those things are very bold and the things that you guys mm-hmm. are all like helping and really backing like it's bold content that's very you know touching on taboo subjects mm-hmm. and things like that the, the brand refinery 29 has always been about tackling taboo topics mm. and going about them differently than the way mainstream women's media we're doing and covering it. So it was very easy to arrive there and build the video business and say, okay, we're just going to add sight, sound, and motion to what you've already done with the editorial content. Um, the trick is it's still an advertising business. Mm-hmm. And most buyers and advertisers within the market are selling beauty and fashion to women. So it's very complicated to find a balance where how do we serve the client, which I do believe our clients and these advertisers do need to service the audience, mm-hmm. not sell them their product. Oh. So it's truly working with them to identify this is the audience that you're providing a product to and this is the problem they're having and how are you servicing them Mm. to truly 
get them to become loyalists of your brand or your product because that is how you affect and build the loyalty mm-hmm. with your younger generation versus just we want to help you sell this hairbrush it's like right. what about that hairbrush is going to make me feel better more confident actually save me time um, or energy in doing so and acknowledging that those things matter mm-hmm. and then on the flip side what are the more substantial conversations we want to be having around the type of content that we want and how do we build opportunities for young women who are not getting them out in market as we see today Jesse Conwheeler was a uh, um, she's the creator of The Skinny, brilliant um, young woman who just had this idea. She wasn't seeing herself, a, a Jewish young female dealing with bulimia, um, but also just who she was in her culture. And she just wasn't seeing that. She wrote it herself. She went out and hustled. And that was one of the first things we've done. And we've worked with amazing women now, building out the Shatterbox program, which is short film programs, kind of highlight to Hollywood that we need more women directors, but you can do that and also not control what it is their story mm-hmm. is that they want to tell. So we do so with full creative freedom in that film series. And that's been amazing. And those are the high level premium product all the way down to every social asset that we make, which please, some is just fun. There's some fun we want to do in today. But there's a level of chocolate-covered broccoli, I call it. Of, <laughs> you know, mass market is we're all obsessed with talent and celebrity mm-hmm. and what they're doing. How do we talk about the substance of what it is that they're doing? Yeah. You can watch the Kardashians, which is an amazing pop culture phenomenon. But those women are also highly successful. They brought around a lot of taboo topics when it comes to infertility, the fertility spectrum, mm-hmm. as we like to to, to call it and many other things that they that they touch upon and they're highlighting um, and I think there's that's the positive spin on it and so what is the beauty content or the fashion mm-hmm. content that we're talking about and how do we level that with substantial conversation around it the chocolate covered broccoli because yeah. it's not served to the mass market but right. it's important that we highlight to them why it is imperative that they are aware of what's going on in the world politics policy um, being able to layer what's happening mm. in news and policy and politics next to the rest of the beauty and the fashion and the entertainment content is important. So you could be a one-stop shop and highlight that as women, we actually care about all of those things and we can think about them simultaneously. We move that quickly. And I love that so much because so many people think that um, you have to be one or the other, right? Like, well, if you're yes. talking about politics, you can't be doing makeup. Like, those two don't go together. Um, and I think that that's what I love about what you guys are doing is, like, start mm-hmm. debunking all the, like, the myths, the, the shoulds and the shouldn'ts and stuff like that and doing yep. content that is, like, I actually think, like, talking about beauty is empowering. Mm-hmm. You know, and once upon a time, it was like, oh, it shouldn't be about the looks. And it's like, no, you can use your style, your yes. hair, your clothes as a representation of who you are. Yes. And we shouldn't have to shy away. Was, was this show that you guys did called um, like Fuck Beauty or uh, fa- Fuck Fashion? Fuck the Fashion Fuck Rules. Fuck the Fashion yes. Rules. Yes, thank Christine you. Christine Barbrick, who is the co-founder <gasps> of Refinery, that is her baby. And I loved it. I mean, and that is what it feels like to work at Refinery. When you walk through the office of Refinery, so many women you'll see one another and say, I love those sneakers. They look great on you. I found that in the world before that I lived in, we were all trying to copy one another Mm. because we were all told one look that we should all be. Oh my God, those pants make you look skinny. How do I go buy them? That's not what happens inside the, the bubble that I live in now. It's much more about that hair looks great on you. That's awesome. You've now inspired me to go do what works for me. And it, that, that nuance is very, very important. 
And so yeah, fuck the fashion roles, which is my favorite. And she, she and the fashion group there have done an amazing job through the years of really marrying the high and low. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Our entire lives, we've been put on a ladder. Mm-hmm. So if you love beauty, you must be less than someone who understands politics and policy. And I think what's happening is through social media, the democratization of content has occurred, but also the awareness level of we should not be seeing each other through this ladder, that it's more like a lattice and how are we all equal? And you can, one is not better or smarter or more brilliant than the other. There is a craft and an expertise that it comes to understanding beauty, to applying that, to, to feeling the confidence that that could have on someone, the transformation and what a powerful tool that is, the same way that you can understand what's happening in government politics and right. run for office. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's just such, to me, a very simple motion, but it speaks to everything. I love that when you explained it, because <clears throat> the ladder is so, you know, like up or down, and yep. to get higher, you almost, there's no room for two people. Correct. And so I like the visualization when I heard you say it, yep. where it's like, okay, no, if it's you just turn it this way, and there's a whole spectrum, it now doesn't put you like, am I above them or am I below them? Correct. Well, it's, it's a very, you know, inside everyone is masculine and feminine traits. Mm-hmm. And how do you balance those traits out? And it's a very feminine trait to think about partnership. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as the world puts more women in power of businesses and board seats and this idea of partner that there is room and space for us all as a generation who demands and will command that every business does more and better for the world around us, not just out to make money. Mm-hmm. And I think those are changes that we will start to see that will affect society in a big way. I hope. Yeah. So talk to me about then the, the duality between femininity and masculinity. I think you said um, with your daughter you want her to have lipstick and kick ass. Yes. Um, so talk to me about that duality and how as women we can actually benefit from it. I love this. And at five she's already wearing lipstick and kicking my ass. So um, I think I should have been more particular about exactly whose ass I wanted her to kick. Um, um, but yeah, no, when I got to refinery I didn't think there was a world where you could wear lipstick and kick ass. And, that, and the good news here is that was four years ago. And I just feel like we live in a completely different space today, that that is not only what you can be, but, you know, is it expected of us mm-hmm. and how are we going to balance that? So, but the awareness level, yeah. you know, is so great now compared to where it was four years ago. That's so interesting because I actually do worry about the expectations now of women um, because, so quick story is I was in line at a buffet on vacation and this woman asked what I do. So I start talking and I'm very chatty, so I start going mm-hmm. on. And I said, what about you? And she goes, oh, I'm just a mother and I homeschool my kids. And I'm like, just? Hardest job ever. Right. And I noticed that now the expectations are almost shifting mm-hmm. where it's once upon a time, you, you, you can't have a career and be a mom, you have to choose. Correct. And now it's, people are expecting to either have both, right? You have to be in the workplace as well. But definitely, oh, you're almost a sellout if now you're a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. So how do we handle those expectations or just try and demolish them so that we can really just be ourselves, whatever that means? Well, one thing will be equality. I mean, my husband went part-time when we had our second kid. I had the opportunity at Refinery. I knew it would consume my life. I wanted to. I had felt like this was a big big opportunity for me and my career and for us as a family if we could really make this work in changing and shifting culture with what we could do with the brand. But he works in the film business crazy hours and he said, okay, I'll go part-time so I could spend time with our kids. But now you had two people really trying to fight gender expectations against us. Society wasn't really they're still just gearing how do we work with stay-at-home dads and what to do there. But it's equality um, that will make that a better position. Mm -hmm. Um, One is not better than the other. 
I think to your point, now a lot of the media representation will be very, very successful women. We are all fighting mm-hmm. for that in board seats, but making sure that the representation of women at home and men at home is just as great and as balanced right. so we understand what that looks like and what that to be. And there's no wrong choice. Yeah. And I think now society really is making that shift mm-hmm. and kind of more people are speaking up and even more men I'm finding are speaking yes. up about female empowerment, which I love, that it is inclusive. I think that's very important. Oh, yes. Well, at Sundance, I noticed there was a lot of female directors. Um, there are about a 50-50 split at Sundance of female directors and male directors. Oh, really? But many, many of the women were saying that they pushed off, you know, they're not going to have family or get married because they wanted to be a director. And at first, I realized my own unconscious bias of, oh, that's so sad. And then I thought, you know what? Why is that a, a sad thing? Like, you also should be able to choose your path. And if your path is no kids, no spouse of, you know, that's fine. That should be an okay choice. And Maybe because you'll have 100% of yourself to pour into your work, the work you'll put out into the world will have change in definition more than I can comprehend. But we tend to place shame, this unconscious shame on people, no matter no matter their choice. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that we're all trying to work away work away from. Yeah, it's so true. Like, so one, um, I met this woman and she had very successful and she has kids. And the first thing I was like, I was like, how do you do both? Oh my god, I admire it so much. And she was just like, you just do it. Just like how you make a decision to work every day. Yeah. Um, I've made the decision to split. And she's, she actually was like, I don't like people putting me on a pedestal to be able to do both. And it really hit me because I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Because I go to a default of you must be superwoman or wonder woman mm-hmm. to be able to do both. And she was just like, you just make it work. Oh. And there shouldn't be a hierarchy of no. because I do both, I'm better. Right. But I, I, I think also when I do conversations like this and panels, I'm very upfront with, I'm not doing both. My, I have my mother who comes over three to four days a week, sleeps over three to four nights a week. My husband's working part-time. We now have help. So I fully acknowledge mm-hmm. I am a part-time mom. And some people don't like that I say that, but how, how else can I phrase this? That I have all of this other help and support because I... I, I knew I wasn't capable. I, I just haven't been able to be capable of doing that yeah. with the amount of stress I was putting on myself with the position that I was in. There's no shame in that game either. And and I think knowing and acknowledging that I'm doing 100%, I give to them on weekends and nights um, or the mornings and finding the quality time, not the quantity time. I've been struggling with that too. People want to judge me for it. That's fine. But this is my reality. Um, and so the answer to work-life balance was have a team of people who support you in order to do so. And I see things in the kids that I wonder if I could have changed if I would have been mm. with them more, I'm mm. sure. But I also try to live in the, pos- the, 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 the goodness of it, which is they're learning from so many other people. I've placed them around amazing people that were lucky grandmas with us and kicking it and retired and gets to spend all that time with them and allowing them to get shaped by other people that are around them. It doesn't mean I have to be the only one that's shaping them. But there's no way in hell I'm doing this so perfectly and balanced. And anyone who's out there and selling that really should try to pull back and be honest with themselves. I literally want to stand up and applaud you right now because I've never had any woman ever be so direct and honest. And it's so inspiring. Like when you said, like, I'm a part-time mom and some people may judge me for it, like... That was so powerful because I think more women need to say that. Mm-hmm. Like, screw the judgment, right? The fact that you're able to say that out loud, mm-hmm. say it with confidence, right? And I, I hear what you're saying. It's like, look, I'm never perfect. Some days, yes, it's, it's tough. And um, I try to spend as much time as I can with them. Um, quality over quantity. Like, mm-hmm. I really hope people are listening to that. 
we have to then talk about um, it's not easy because I know that's something you talk a lot about. Yes. I, I just think that if someone thinks this is easy, you've either been the luckiest person in the world or there must be a privilege that you've experienced in your life that allowed you to think everything was easy. I, I don't find anything this easy. Um, but I did doc, when I was filming documentaries, I filmed people in some amazing jobs, whether that was the law enforcement, um, doctors doing heart transplants and lung transplants, um, people trying to find the cure for cancer. Nothing is easy. Everybody has their own complication, their own problem. Um, so when everyone comes to me and they say, well, we could do that, but that's going to be really hard. I'm like, it's called a J-O-B. This is a job. Right. We get paid. No one said it was going to be an easy job. Um, and most of the time you get more reward out of being complicated and difficult, right? Um, if you ran a flat, easy race that had no time restraint, okay, that, what, what win is there? Um, so I just think like the reminder of the, the, that the complication, the difficulty is the hill you're trying to climb. <clears throat> That's everything. Absolutely everything. Yeah. So stop thinking it's going to be easy. And there's this expectation that back in the old world of businesses, you were supposed to act calm. And in order to instill calm in the forces, you have to act like you have all the answers. I don't find that with the younger generation. It's the honesty and the, the trust that you have to build with. I don't have the answer today, but I can guarantee you we will figure it out and we're going to figure it out together. And, and, but it's going to be hard. And I'm not going to sit here and say this is going to be really easy. Yeah. And I find that's where the value is. So would you suggest, like, let's say somebody comes to you and you're like, hey, I want to do this project. And someone's like, it can't be done. It's just not going to be easy. I don't know what to do. Like, what kind of advice do you give them in that? Or do you just, like, suck it up and do it? I, I mean, if, yeah, I, I don't understand that. Like, what, what are the options? Do you have another option for me? Um, this is what we're going to have to do. And we're going to have to work together and get it done. See you tomorrow. I mean, that's... I don't believe there's another option. Right. If you can find an easier option, that's great. I'll give you 24 hours. Yeah. Go innovate, problem solve. See if you can find an easier way to get it done. But sometimes the easy way isn't the right way. Yeah. And that's what you have to question. Don't just do it because it's easy. Everyone's always faced with a problem. You can't figure out how to tackle it. I think there's a vulnerability in sharing what that problem is with someone and trying to find somebody who will help you create it. But don't fall into the victimization of it all. And I do think that for a long time we were trained to fall into that, that woe is me, I can't get it done, and this is impossible. And it's like, okay, you've now just become a pure victim in your own life. Seek it out and find a solution. Yeah. That's why I love like the whole superhero thing. Cause it really is like you choose, do you choose to be the victim or do you choose to be the hero? Like right. these are the two paths ahead of you. Neither is going to be easy. They're both going to come with like, even choosing to be the victim. It's going to suck. Right? Right. It's not like it's an easy path, yeah. but it is an option and you just have to choose which one you're going to go down. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming. This was on lovely. Nice to meet you. Yeah. So much fun. Before I can ask my last question oh, yes. though, what, uh, where can people find you online? Oh, I mean, I feel like I'm everywhere, but um, Instagram, Amy Emmerich, it's pretty easy to find. And I think on, I think on Twitter, I might be Emmer Schmidt. My husband's last name is Oberschmidt. And we, I morphed them together at the time. So, but yeah, primarily in those two places, but there isn't a platform I'm not playing on, yeah. um, but those two places. Yeah. I love it. And now my last question, what do you consider your superhero power? superpower? And I think having you know, a high EQ, which is something I didn't learn about until later in life. I was always told IQ is the thing that mattered. Um, book smart versus street smart, some people like to say. But, you know, empathy. I think having a high level of empathy for those around you, being able to read a room and, and feel that mm. to the core um, allows me to connect with people in a way that I really um, treasure and, and, and um, am thankful that I have that. It comes naturally, and I'm thankful for it. 
Guys, 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 you've got to go check out everything this woman does, everything she's a part of. Refinery29, honestly, it's you need to block off about eight hours of your day if you've never visited the site before, because let me tell you, you'll click on one video and you'll start going down a rabbit hole. It is so empowering and incredible. Um, and this woman is a part of it, and not just a part of the company, but like if you actually look at what she's done herself, all the things that she's had to overcome, the evolution she's had to go through to realizing that the career she had dreamt of actually wasn't what was given her passion so she made a shift even when she was pregnant she made a shift over to where she is now and you can see that is definitely paid off the smile that she has and the way she talks about her job and the people that she's impacted is absolutely incredible so guys check out this woman's stuff and until next time go be your own superhero because no one's going to do it for you Indeed. and if you haven't already subscribed click that subscribe button down there and follow me at lisa billu All right, guys, thank you so much for joining. Go check them out. What's up, guys? Lisa here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do click that subscribe button. Click, click, click away so you don't miss any new episodes that come out every single Wednesday. And if you do feel so inclined, it'd be great to get a rate and a review from you. That'd be awesome. That's how we get the show in front of more people and create more impact on more women. So until then, go out and be the superhero of your own life.